You're listening to the EFC Podcast. Kevin Makins is the founding pastor of Eucharist Church in Hamilton, and he's author of the newly released book, Why Would Anyone Go to Church? A Young Community's Quest to Reclaim Church for Good. My name is Karen Stiller, and I spoke with Kevin recently about his book, which to me is sort of a combination spiritual memoir, church planting guide, and contribution to the discussion of what church is today. You can also find a version of this interview with Kevin in the print issue of September-October Faith Today magazine. Magazine, which is now free to Canadian subscribers. You can check it out at faithtoday.ca. So, Kevin, why would anyone go to church? You know, it, it's a good question and one that uh, in some ways feels like less relevant and more relevant than ever. Like we are in this and kind of coming out of this big COVID moment where no one was going to church at all, which it makes it a very funny time to release a book called Why Would Anyone Go to Church? Um, but it also has acted as a real time, I think, for a lot of us to reflect on what church is and why it even matters. Uh, one of the things I, I kind of realized years ago that is just becoming even more clear in this moment is that a lot of the things we do at church are just odd. And like maybe maybe generations past, these were really impressive things. But today, I just noticed that a lot of my peers were like, why would anyone go to church? Because what do you even do there? It's like, well, we sing music, like we sing songs together, but they're not like the greatest songs by the greatest bands. Like these are all musicians just doing their best to play the organ or to, you know, play uh, play with their little band and, and we sing along, but it's not like as good as a concert. And the sermon, you know, maybe your pastor is great, but I bet she's not as funny as a stand-up comedian or as interesting as a TED talk. And in fact, online right now in your pocket. You can listen to any documentary, any podcast you ever wanted to. You can be in a group chat. You can be in Facebook groups with people that you want to connect with from all these different worlds. Like right now, everything that you've ever wanted is available to you all the time. And so why would anyone go to church? Like why would people continue to go to some place on a Sunday to connect with a bunch of people they didn't pick and do things that by most metrics, are not all that impressive. And that was really the question that, uh, for me, sparked the whole book, was saying, so what is it about church that means it has endured for this long, that people have given this much of their life and their energy to it, when by so many metrics, it's just not that impressive? Right. So why would anyone go to church then? (laughs) Tell us. (laughs) Well, I think what what we found, I mean, the book is is roughly documenting um, a 10-year journey we've had of being a church in downtown Hamilton, Ontario. And so I don't want to speak for everyone or everyone in any place. But what we found with largely a a younger, kind of under 35-aged congregation is that nobody was coming to church because it was more interesting than a podcast or Uh, you know, funnier than a a comedy special. They were going to church for these very primal reasons. They wanted to belong to a community that was bigger than them. They wanted to engage with people who were different generations, different backgrounds, different perspectives. Um, They wanted to be a part of history in a unique way. So they wanted to know, where do I belong in time? Is my life just a blip on the radar? Or am I a part of a church that goes back thousands of years and tied to a God who cast all this in motion? Um, They wanted to go somewhere where they would be put into such intimate space with others that they would accidentally hurt each other, sometimes intentionally hurt each other. And then they'd have to learn to forgive each other and heal those wounds. 
And few of those things are found anywhere but church. Like church is one of the most beautiful places to find the answers to those questions. And really that's what we found people continue to engage with as they engaged in the church. Um, those are the reasons why they wanted to be a part of this. And your the subtitle of your book is A Young Community's Quest to Reclaim Church for Good. Tell us about tell us about the word reclaim. Like it pre it it is assuming that something has gone wrong with church at some point. Yeah, totally. I hope that's not too controversial to say, but let's be real. Things sure. have gone wrong with church. Like yeah. if you don't think anything's gone wrong, you haven't been talking to people. Um, you know, the church has been a part of some of the most beautiful um, things in human history. The church is at her best has changed history for the better. Um, and at its worst, the church has hurt people um, and cast people out and participated in cultural genocide. Like the church has a lot to repent of, um, but that doesn't mean we should throw the church out. What I see in a lot of my peers, um, the younger generation, maybe, if I'm still a part of the younger generation, uh, is that some of them engaged in church, you know, they, they didn't leave, but they had to kind of turn off that critical side of things to be able to, to belong to church. Um, so they, they're not really allowed to say that the church has caused harm. Um, but I've seen even more people than those who've stuck around and kind of turned off the criticism. I've seen a lot of people step away from church and right. say, why would I bother belonging to this broken, messed up thing? You know, why would I continue to care if I can just walk away? Um, but what I've seen is that when that happens, we tend to just join other uh, other causes or other places of belonging that have all their own issues. You know, we, we end up, instead of uh, going to church on Sunday morning, we end up going for a hike one or two weeks. And then typically we end up sleeping in longer and we end up, you know, watching more Netflix and, you know, we're, we're going to give ourselves over to something. And so for me, the real question, and for a lot of the people I was engaging with, the question was, what if instead of walking away from the church and kind of falling into whatever cultural narratives are given to us, we instead really gave ourselves to the church in a more radical way. And we really uh, put ourselves into the hard work of confessing where the church has done harm but seeing what in the church needs to be reclaimed, what needs to be celebrated, what has always been so beautiful about it that we can champion and let the major things that are beautiful about the church be our focus and to release a lot of the small things or a lot of the ways that the church has gotten stuck that we no longer need to cling to. And so I didn't want to deconstruct church because, you know, we've done that. I In my 20s, uh, you know, when I was in seminary, the big rage was deconstruction, but that just leads to apathy into its own kind of spiritual death. Um, but the work of reclaiming is much more painful, difficult, humbling work, but I ultimately think much more satisfying and rewarding work. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm interested in the word deconstruction. Um, and and also you you do use the word re reconstructed faith, which I thought was interesting too. So uh, in the book. Um, so yeah, I, I would just love for us to push in a little deeper about church and what wasn't working and what can work so well and clearly worshiping God and experiencing the love of Christ in our lives obviously has a big part to play in why people stick it out with church Absolutely. you know whatever generation they're from and so I wonder if we can just you know keep digging in there for a moment because I I'm well I'm 53 how, how old are you Kevin I'm gonna I'm, I'm 33 33. Okay. So yeah. I'm a good, well, obviously 20 years older than you. Good life, um, <laughs> so I, in, uh, yeah, it's just interesting because 
our church, for example, in downtown Ottawa is very multi-generational. Um, but probably uh, if you came in on a Sunday, I think you would find it you know, traditional and maybe think that we were hanging on to things that we could let go of. I, I don't know. I don't know if what you would think, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and I know there is a, like a yearning um, for liturgy sometimes and you talk about that in the book too with people coming and going and um, actually loving uh, traditional elements of the Mm -hmm. church but you definitely put a a new spin on things that is so creative and like nap Sunday I mean nap Sunday is my favorite that's that's my if, if I die and our only contribution to the church calendar was nap Sunday I'm thrilled yeah. Okay. We better we better explain Nap Sunday. So so first of all, explain Nap Sunday for people, and then let's talk more about um, what you know a, a traditional say, if I can use that word, church could learn from what you what you guys are doing. Well, let me see if I can tie those two together because I think Good. I think they are tied. Um, I was raised in the Lutheran Church. You know, I wasn't raised in. Um, in kind of a, a missional pr- congregation or, or a congregation that was interested in changing things. We feel like Luther really nailed it 500 years ago and we're kind of just hanging on. <laughs> um, you know, it was a great church, but it was a very ordinary church. Um, but, you know, I had these beautiful experiences in that church that really shaped me. And so um, even for us as a church, when we were finding that our community was growing tired, we were growing uh, weary, that we needed rest, we looked into elements of church tradition to find a way forward. You mm-hmm. know, that the path forward is as much about going back as it is about looking ahead. Yeah. Um, so in, in that particular case, we came up with our own contribution to the church calendar called Nap Sunday. And this is the Sunday after Christmas when nobody really wants to be there anyways. And typically you let the intern preach. Um, that's like <laughs> if anyone out there is in ministry and you've had interns, you know you've done this. I've done this. <laughs> Um, because everyone's so fried, you know, we had this whole congregation that'd been driving all over the province, trying to see family and going to church on Christmas Eve and following Advent. And they were so exhausted that we thought, Hey, what if we just had a Sunday where we didn't learn anything and we didn't improve in any way and we just rested. And so, you know, we, we had this idea for nap Sunday, which is essentially everybody shows up in pajamas and uh, we have like some quiet music. And then instead of a sermon, everyone takes their own pew in the sanctuary or wherever we were renting. We rented a lot of buildings, um, take on the floor, on chairs, on pews. And then we all just take a nap. And for 30 minutes, we nap. And every 10 minutes, we'll have Jesus's teachings on uh, anxiety and worry. Don't worry about tomorrow. It will worry about itself. We have that read every 10 minutes. And then at the end, we invite people to wake up slowly and come up for communion. And that's the end of the service. That <laughs> so it was, is so good. It was saying, you know, come to the table without having learned anything or bettered yourself in any way. Yeah. Because that's grace. Grace is snoring in church. Grace is being able to relax enough to know that God has got you, even when you haven't done anything. Mm-hmm. And that's very Lutheran. You know, that's Lutheran theology and the, and the church calendar kind of came in to save us there. Yeah. So I, I think for me, I, I'm trying to have less of a dog in the fight of style. Um, Like I have my own preference of style. I have my own preference of church size or the way that that looks. But I really am trying to release all of that because the things that matter about church can be practiced by um, a charismatic church or contemplative church, by a Quaker community or a Pentecostal community. Um, It can be celebrated whether you're a church of 10,000 people or 50 people or 10 people. Um, The real primal elements of the Christian faith that we see in church 
are things like forgiveness, are things like uh, being attentive to one another, being attentive to the spirit, coming to the table, uh, bringing what we have to participate in the life of the church instead of sitting back and watching church. Um, and I've seen congregations engage in this kind of stuff from all sorts of different backgrounds. So I would say it's less about what your church looks like on a Sunday um, and more about the posture that you hold, which I, I do think ultimately will shape how you meet as a church and what you do. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not that just changing the the way it looks or changing the packaging is going to get people to come back to church or get people to engage in church. It has to be a transformation of the soul of a community that shifts into a way of being that is actually beautiful, compelling, and countercultural. And then knock yourself out with what songs you sing or knock yourself out with how you pray your prayers. Well, you talk about real being real and genuine and authentic. And um, you, you in your book, you say they're almost cliches now, those words, but they just still describe something important. And then you totally. write, if we're, if we're going to be the church together, we have to cut the BS. Yeah. Um, so that's, I think, My really... sure made me say BS. I wanted to spell it right <laughs> out. But, um, we, all knew, have... we all know what you meant, Kevin. You can read between the lines. <laughs> Just because sometimes even saying a BS means uh, means you're kind of playing a game even in your language, and that's fine. But yeah, we really need to learn how to be honest and be real human beings following Jesus together as the church. Yeah, and so you're talking about like interrational, interrelationally, how we uh, share our honest journeys journeys with each other. Tell us more about that. Yeah, I mean, and we have not like nailed this. Um, anybody from my church listening to this is going to be like, what Kevin's telling stories from us. Like we are so learners on this. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, we have found over years that when we are attentive to the relationships that God has given us, not the ones we wish we had, not the church that I think it was um, Eugene Peterson or maybe Philip Yancey who said, if we don't love the church we have, it will become the enemy of the one we want. There's a sort of, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer also spoke about the dangers of idealized community, um, that we're, you know, we idealize what community is and who it is. And often God said, look, I know that you have this kind of ideal in your head and maybe that's fine, but I actually gave you these 20 people to love, you know, and, and not, this is not speaking just to pastors. This is speaking to people in church communities. God says, I gave you these people. I gave you this place. I gave you these relationships to cultivate. And so instead of sitting around wishing that I gave you something different, can you lean into these relationships and really listen and hear how your different experiences, your different backgrounds, your different cultures, your different, um, uh, the, the homes you were raised in, the places you were raised in, even your different theological views, stop fighting and, and pay attention to each other because the Holy Spirit is working to bring about justice and reconciliation and peace when we take the time to really pay attention to one another. And whenever we've done that, we have found that things that blow churches up, big controversial stuff, once it's not about issues, but it's really about the people and listening to these people and then seeing how we share our common life together, it suddenly becomes a quite a joyous thing, you know, full of laughter and full of tears when we say, okay, we're not trying to just find an answer to a question. We're trying to really be attentive and to listen. And we know that Jesus is here in these contentious, challenging conversations. And if we can learn to be non-anxious enough to sit in them, Christ will be present. He has promised to be present. Yeah, I like that idea of just how we listen and how we carry each other's stories is so important. 
I appreciated that you spoke about the failures of church planting in the book. <laughs> um, you talk about that you you did a Halloween kind of outreach thing that you then, uh, then went on to rename the night the children never came, yes. um, which is really great because no kids showed up. Not and even I, the kids from our own church showed up. It was a you are a failure. I was <laughs> Oh, total, total failure. Yeah, that's so funny. And that's just like one story. That is the tip of the iceberg of failure that is Eucharist Church. We've got more to share. We have failed so many times. Well, you know, I think thinking about this theme of being authentic and genuine and honest, I feel like that's uh, refreshing for how churches communicate with each other. So not just within churches, but just um, this culture we have around big church and sort of celebrity church and celebrity pastor and, you know, everything going well. I, I, I really appreciated the fact that you risked, um, you know, telling the things that did not go well. So, you know, thank yeah. you for that. No, thank you for saying that. And I mean, I, I feel so blessed to be in a congregation where sharing failure does not mean that I now have to have an extra meeting with the board right. um, or where somebody says, hey, I know that the event flopped, but really, can you spin the story so it feels like more of a success? Mm-hmm. Um, that is such a commonplace thing that can happen in, in, in the West, you know, in churches, certainly, but also in businesses and communities. Um, but to be in a church, like the people in my community are just people I love. Like, I mean, I miss them right now because we only get to see their little Zoom squares. But these are just exceptional people who have made space for the storytelling in our church, to be honest. Yeah. And once we did that, everyone just let, it lets the pressure right off. Like God can be God and Christ can deal with the reconciliation of all things. And we have a little tiny role to play in it. And that means we show up and we bring our best. But mm-hmm. if we fail, we say that we fail and we laugh about it. And it becomes a story in the chapter about, you know, in the book, because it's, um, it's not something we need to hide anymore. And yeah, we just, we have found church planting. I mean, I'll speak for myself, but I know many in our church would agree. I have found church planting to be a joyous activity. You know, I hear people talk about how hard church planting can be and how hard church is, and it is all of that. It's painful and difficult. But boy, is it fun to try and to fail and to laugh and to just know that all is grace and God has got this. It's just been the most beautiful thing. What about numbers? Like, I I feel like that's where, uh, going back into my previous question a little bit about how we um, maybe sometimes aren't, so honest or authentic from, you know, church to church communication, or uh, we've met up with pastors we hadn't seen for a while. And one of their first questions can be like, how big is your church? Or how well, right. how many people come up on the average Sunday? And right. I'm, one, I'm guessing that that's a thing in church planting circles too, this, this uh, emphasis on number and what does it mean to successfully plant a church? Can you talk oh, about yeah. that, Kevin? <laughs> oh, it's a bugaboo for me. I mean, it's like, yeah. First of all, when I'm in church settings, you can tell within the first minute if we're like going to talk like human beings or if we're all going to play that game for a while. Like I've walked in settings where people start talking and I think, oh, okay, so we're doing the thing where we all talk about how great it is. Like we're playing that game today in this circle. Okay. Um, you know, I, I guess that's what we're doing. But when you walk into a circle and people are willing to be honest, the guards just come down. Like when you mm-hmm. just say, let's not play the game. Let's just talk about what we're actually experiencing, what God's actually doing. Um, And so I always appreciate when people can just let their guard down and talk like real people for a little bit, um, especially in the church. Yeah. I think think the conversation around numbers is a fascinating one to have 
especially in Canada, when we were already on the way to a third of our sacred spaces closing um, in the next 10 years, which the CBC reported on last year. And now with COVID, I mean, I might bump that number up to five or three years. You know, mm -hmm. how quickly are these going to close? And we have to recognize that some of this is just the end of Christendom, that for a long time, a bunch of people went to church because that's what, quote unquote, good people did. Um, but that was like my grandparents' generation. You know, it, that is not the reality in Canada anymore. So we're going to see a great decline. And I think that's okay. I think for individual congregations, we've got to ask the question, what does it look like to build a church that isn't about how many people are here on a Sunday, but is about how many people are participating in a shared life together around Christ and his table? And that will look not just like one set of numbers, but multiple numbers. Like, you know, our church Eucharist might have 100, 150 core people involved, but we have like two or 300 people that are kind of, they pop in every now and then. They're kind of, the, there's this character in the scriptures of the crowd, which I feel like we don't know what to do with often in the West. Because we've only seen, we've seen the disciples and the crowd as kind of being one in our church structures. So we see people on Sunday morning and we go, hey, look who came to church. But you don't know, like some of these people are here to follow Jesus. Some of them are here because they're curious. Some of them are here because they're hungry or, or, they're, or they're thirsty, um, whether physically or spiritually. And Jesus had this way of saying, here are the disciples who are thick and thin, and they're going to see that it's a miracle when I feed these people, but it's also going to be hard for them participation is going to be challenging. And then there are these crowds of people that are going to come for sometimes and sometimes they're going to walk away. And he never judged the crowds. He never condemned the crowds. He had compassion on the crowd. He loved the crowd. He fed the crowd, but he didn't expect the crowd to always be there. He was never impressed by the crowd. And so he had this beautiful relationship of if 500, 5,000 people come to hear Jesus speak, he's happy with that. But if they all leave and it's just the 12, He's also okay with that. And so I feel like as the church, we've got to be able to posture ourselves. We, we have to shift our thinking from how many butts can I get in the space to how do we make a community of Jesus followers who can bless the world, who can bless the crowd. And some of those crowd are going to come and be disciples also. And that's a beautiful thing, but not all of them are, and we shouldn't expect them all to be. Yeah, no, I I think that would be a very freeing uh, mindset to have. Actually, that's a that's a very helpful image that of the crowd. Well, I just wanted to throw in one little sneaky thing, unless there's a pastor listening to this um, or somebody who's <laughs> like in, in lay leadership in a church. The beautiful thing is that once you say you don't have to be here, people get really excited to be a part of it. <laughs> yeah, like yeah. once you say, "Look, you don't have to be here. It's fine. You know, you can go to another church, or you don't need to go to church at all." People go. Well, no, 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 I want to, I want to, I'm curious. <laughs> so it's actually ah. a beautiful church growth strategy to say, look, you don't have to be here. It's fine. You, you, you know, no judgment. Suddenly, once the pressure's off, people feel a lot more freedom to actually engage with it. Mm. So that, that's kind of a beautiful uh, sidebar to, to that. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. I like it. Um, so you write very honestly in your book, Kevin, Why Would Anyone Go to Church? About the pain of people leaving a church, though and going to another better church, you know, down the road, uh, sort of literally, uh, in your case, which eventually leads you to seeking the forgiveness of the other pastor for the anger or resentment or sorrow or grief or whatever it is you'd been harboring uh, in your heart, and that that was a really important moment in your journey. Oh, it's mortifying. <laughs> I, I, you know, 
Kevin, I really, um, like for me, that was probably the high point of your book. Mm. Like I, you know, maybe cause I'm married to a minister, but I, I know that, uh, that pain of people leaving and going to the newer, bigger, better thing or whatever, however they're perceiving it. And so I really felt that your transparency there is, is very like, kingdom serving i think i think Thank it's you. good good that. for people to talk about that so how did you you know and my um the part of me that was sort of on your side <laughs> felt like <laughs> well the other pastor should apologize for you know stealing kevin's people or whatever which uh, i know no, they didn't do that. i know is they, it right yeah, yeah, yeah no i totally get that but i know i know that feeling totally yeah i think it's like a complicated emotional thing so i wondered if you could talk about that for a moment well, yeah, there, there was this beautiful time, you know, when we started and, and for like a year or two, we were the like hip church, you know, <laughs> like we were the young ones. And then, yeah, my my friend, like it's it's a friend of mine who started this church in, in our movement. We're a part of a movement in Hamilton called True City, which is a, a network of like over 15, 20 churches that work together for the good of the kingdom. And they had a, a bunch of people from their church that was in another area who lived nearby where our church plant was. And they said, hey, all these people are driving out to go to church. We should church plant. And they did. And they did it beautifully with, with just lovely people. And um, some people that had been a part of our church for a couple of years said, hey, this church actually is a better fit for us. And we're going to go there. And some of them left um, very clearly, you know, kind of communicating why. And some people ghosted. And some people went to that church. And people went to other churches. But it was this very funny moment where, you know, those times where you're like, I always have said I believe this. But now right. I've got to ask, do I really? Like in my head, I believe it, but do mm. I believe it in my gut? I hate and that. So, uh, it's awful. It's just a nightmare. <laughs> and I hate that God keeps setting me up for these kind of things. You're like, leave me alone. Um, you know, so suddenly it was like, okay, you've had this idea that we are all one church, that the whole church is one great big body of Christ. And that that doesn't just mean the church is in your network or your denomination, but that means all churches. Um and so now God was like, God was saying, and so now that I've allowed these people to go to another church, do you still feel that? Or is the church actually about you and, um, and you know, your need to be in these relationships and your need to be the one who's engaged in these people's lives? Or can you surrender and, and let them go and, and come with me? And so I think there is, there's a, there's a very real and fair pain that you feel when you watch somebody even if they're leaving for good reasons, some of these people left with great, clear, articulate reasons, it still hurts. Yeah. And I don't want to minimize that pain. And what's beautiful is it didn't just hurt for me as the pastor. It hurt for people who were invested in our church. You know, there were dozens of people who felt the the missing seat in the pew or the person that had to move on. Even we'd bring them up and pray for them sometimes and send them off. And you can do all the work you want, but it still hurts. Mm-hmm. And um, I think part of that pain is just the pain of, if you're going to, you know, C.S. Lewis has that line about if you're going to love somebody, you're, you know, if you, if you don't want to be hurt, you've got to guard your heart and hide it. But if you're going to love people, you're now exposing your heart to pain. And so um, I think that that is just a reality. If you're going to be in the church, you better be willing to, to hurt a bit. Um, but also coming through that personal pain and realizing this is not about me. Um, this is God's work in the world. And I can feel this pain and I can maybe talk to the right people if I need to to process it. But ultimately, these people don't belong to me. They don't belong to our church. They belong to God. Yeah. And I need to release them to go and do that. And I need to trust that if God is 
taking things out of our open hand and shifting people out of our open hand to places where they could be better used in the kingdom, then he's going to always give us what we need to be the church. Mm-hmm. And he has never failed to give us the right people, the new people, um, new gifts from people that have been around for a long time. We have never wanted for anything. And so um, it would be a dangerous move to start clinging, clinging on to what is instead of continuing to release what is so that God can give us what's going to be. Yeah, that's so helpful. I want to read a little uh, paragraph from your book. Um, Ooh, exciting. I've never had anyone do this before. Karen, <laughs> okay, this is fun. Hold, hold on. Um, I could go on all day about the issues in the church. Joining one is probably going to put you in community with some really annoying and judgmental people, but that's not uniquely a church problem. There are jerks everywhere. Sometimes I'm one of them. But for all our faults, we can't forget the beautiful things about church, even in her simplest elements, praying for one another, carrying each other's burdens, finding an apartment for a family in need, or bringing a casserole to a new mother. These are pretty countercultural. I went to a rock climbing gym for two years and no one invited me to a small group. It's not normal to welcome strangers, strangers to your table, into your home, or into your heart. But that's our calling as the church. We carry one another to Jesus. That was very well said and very well written. And I'd Thank love you. for you. Yeah, just beautiful, Kevin. I'd love for you to, um, you know, if there's anything you want to add to that. And then I'd love for you just to bless, like literally say a blessing, if you would, for people who are listening who might be worn out by church or worn out by leading uh, through what's been a really, you know, awfully challenging time lately. And, you know, Mm -hmm. I think we're we're starting to emerge out of that. And by the time this podcast airs, we may be, and hopefully will be more fully out of it. But so, yeah, just tell us, you know, a little bit more about your love for the church and then send us off with a, a blessing. Well, Karen, even even hearing you read that, I mean, one of the funny things about releasing a book in this time when, again, literally no one can go to church right now, um, is it actually is reminding me what I love about the church, even to myself, as I've had, you know, done interviews and, and read more of, of the book, which is a scary thing to read your own writing. But it's just hearing back what we love about this thing. And what we love is, is a lot of the stuff we haven't been able to do in the last season, Um you know, being together, touching each other. Church is gross. Like, have you ever thought about just how weird and gross <laughs> church is? We have a moment in the service where we all pass germs. We call it passing mm-hmm. the peace, but it's passing mm-hmm. the infection. And then we all come up to the common table, like, my goodness. But that is what makes it so beautiful. There are kids here. There are people from different socioeconomic brackets here. Um, we are being brought together into God's beautiful family around his table. And we may not be able to engage that fully for a while. Um, we're not going to be able to sing when we get back together for a while. We're going to have to get creative looking at how the church gathers for a while. But we shouldn't lose vision of the church at her best, what she can be. And her best is not impressive. Like it's not like a, her best is not does not require a huge budget. Her best is very, very simple. You can do it for free. Um, her best is a community of people following Jesus, carrying one another to Christ. And for those who maybe have been hurt by the church, um, I want to say, that I'm so sorry that happened. I'm so sorry for your pain. And I'm sorry that that's caused you to, to have to step away. And I want to honor that and not give any quick or easy answers. Um, for those who are open to reengaging with the church, I guess I'd ask to, to hold your pain as honestly as you can in, in an open hand, but to keep looking at where you'd want to go. 
So even if that little description there of what an ordinary church can look like that, that was just read, if that captures your imagination at all, to just keep that in your mind as this is what it could be. This is what we're aiming at. And, and maybe it'll be six months before you feel like you can step into that again. Maybe it'll be a year. Maybe it'll be in just a couple of weeks. But to keep aiming and, and dreaming and hoping for that kind of ordinary good news community, if you aim at that, you're going to find it. And it might take time, but you will find it and you will step into it. And to leaders who have been pulling um, all-nighters trying to get stupid YouTube videos together and and to everyone who's read liturgy over choppy Zoom and watched those blank faces stare back at you because nobody knows what to do with their face on Zoom. Like to all of you who have just been putting this effort in to this stopgap time to say, well done, and the church does not depend on you making it good. This is God's church and she has endured for a long time and she will not be stopped by this moment. And to just keep in mind what you love about the church, even if right now you only get to experience 10% of what you love, God's going to bring us through this. And the time is going to come where we do get to gather again at the table together, and it will be all the better and sweeter for it. And we'll have lessons learned in this time that we never would have learned otherwise. Amen. Thank you, Kevin. And can I do this blessing thing? Absolutely. This please. blessing thing. That's <laughs> how you know you're, that dealing, blessing you're thing. dealing with a total mutt here. Uh, <laughs> I know you're Anglican. This will not be liturgically beautiful. That's okay. Oh, uh, let's pray then. God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you have given us the church as she is, which is a broken and fallible place full of sinners and doubters and uneven performers, to quote Eugene Peterson. You've given us a church that is in no way impressive or glorious by worldly standards. And yet you keep insisting that she is enough, that these relationships, this bread and this wine, the water of baptism, the small talk after the service around mediocre coffee is enough. So help us to see the small talk as holy. Help us to see the Zoom squares as holy. Help us to see uh, all of our fumbling attempts to regather on the other side of this catastrophe as holy. Give us your eyes, which sees your kids trying their best, and that brings you joy. Would we continue to be attentive to you and attentive to those you have brought into our community so that we could experience life abundant, which is not the good life we've been shown on TV, but is the good life we've been shown in your son and the good life we've been shown by the power of the Spirit in the gathering of your body through time and space. Help us to relax our bodies, to open our hands, and to trust that you will give and you will take, and we will always have everything we need to love you and to love one another. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Kevin, so much. Thank you, Karen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To listen to more and to subscribe to Faith Today, Canada's Christian magazine, please visit www.theefc.ca forward slash faith today.